Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. Tonight, the show is all about New Zealand's native parrot, the kia, or mountain parrot. The kia has repeatedly been shown in problem-solving tests to be the smartest bird on the block. Its fearless, curious nature make it a crowd favourite at some tourist hotspots. But these attributes, which make it superbly adapted to life in the hills and forests of the South Island, are turning into its downfall around people. The Kia Conservation Trust is trying to help the birds better survive in 21st century New Zealand by working with the communities who live with the bird. I'm off to Arthur's Pass, a little alpine village in the middle of a national park, to spend time with the Kia Conservation Trust. Laurie Young is an ecologist and community engagement coordinator for the Trust, and George Moon is a volunteer who helps run the Kia Sightings database. We've come up to a place that we call Death's Corner, also known as the Aotearoa Viaduct Lookout, and often there's a group of kia hanging around here, and we've come to look for some of those today. Who are you expecting to see here, George? There's often a few birds seen up here, but one of the uh, most well-known is one called Tuhura, and he's actually got one eye after a, an accident last year, but he's been patched up and he's a regular visitor here. And there's also an adult male and adult female, um, Schist and Trillian, who's sometimes seen up here as well. So what's the gear you've got there? I like to play a couple of calls sometimes when we get to a site to see if there's any care in the vicinity. So I've got a, a Fox Pro sound speaker. It's pretty one-directional, so it's quite loud. And then a couple of different Kia calls. And so I'll try out a couple of different calls and see if it gets any response. So if they're around, they're pretty good at calling back? They are, and sometimes they'll call and sometimes they'll just come and land straight away. But it may be too hot yet because it's still quite early and warm. So it's a beautiful sunny day. Do they not like warm days? They seem to come out a bit later on these warmer days, I'd say. So what's the name of that call, George? That one's a happy care. <laughs> Here comes one in now. Yeah, so one's just flowing in. That's exciting. So now I need to get it's my doing laps. Yeah, get my binoculars out and see. If we Just can gone see. and landed in the pylon. Just watching us. Beautiful, especially when you see them from underneath in the bright orange wings. Right, I just might go and get my catching gear and see if we can entice this one down. It's chatting away yeah. up there. This is quite a playful call that we're playing back now, and often it elicits a bit of a playful response. There's been a study done by a guy called Raoul Schwing a couple of years ago looking at some of these calls and what they might mean and he found that this kind of type call is a bit of a playful one. It sounds playful. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And they even sort of respond to it sometimes when you stand there and say 
can tell if it's a young one because there's yellow around the eye and the sear, which is above the nostril, beak, especially the lower bill. And this one's definitely got yellow around, so it's either a fledgling or a, a second-year bird. If it was this year's fledgling also, it would have a bright yellow crown on top of its head, well, whitey yellow, golden colour, and that's how you can tell. This must be one of the places where it's easiest for people, particularly tourists, to interact with Kia. Oh yeah, for sure. It's kind of a good and a bad thing, because people come from all around the world to Arthur's Pass area to see Kia, as you're pretty certain to see one while you're here. And um, it's kind of unfortunate that they land in the car park and investigate people's camper vans and buses and things because they actually get run over more often than you think. And we've had maybe 10 deaths by vehicle accident in the past two years. 10 deaths? Yes. That's uh, pretty yeah. sobering. Four of them happened at once just underneath us on the main highway and it was weird because it was all around the same time and we managed to figure out that actually a truck had spilled a whole lot of cream on the highway and so they were attracted to that, which was a, a real shame. All these young ones. Yeah. But in Arthur's Pass Village, just three weeks ago, one got hit by a car just going way too fast through the village and uh, we could definitely do with some slowdown sort of initiatives there, maybe some speed bumps. Or... There were some big signs put in last year for a while, weren't there? Yeah, that's right, but they were on those electronic boards and they seem to have disappeared, so we could definitely use some of those back again. Well, that was, that was actually the Kia calling. Probably calling his mates. <laughs> There's another one coming in. <laughs> now they're chatting to each other, that's yeah. lovely. <laughs> So Laura's trick now is to try and catch the bird. So they've both come in and landed nearby. So Kia are incredibly curious, so you've set up something for them to basically... Yep, use their curiosity again. Tease them in. Yeah, pretty much. Can't help themselves. Now the other bird's come in close as well, so what can you tell me about that? Uh, The other bird now I can see is a sub-adult female by the looks of it with a band combination that's a white G on brown so we banded that one last year um, so you'll be able to look in the database and see who she is yeah here comes the baby one you can tell she's a female because look at her top bill so the females their bills are smaller yeah the top bill compared to the males another one on the top of the pylon. Yay. And interestingly, the sun's just disappearing and it's getting cooler. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's coming down. That one's very scruffy. It's very scruffy, that one. Some, a lot of these slightly older ones are in molt at the moment, so they're looking a little bit tatty. <laughs> I'll just have a look at through my binos which one we're looking at over here. Oh, Tahuda! One-eyed Tahuda. He's just spent a couple of months in the wildlife hospital with his injuries and he's surviving well in the wild um, with one eye, so that's great to see. Okay, here we go. Four birds around us at the moment, it's all go. How many years does it take for them to mature? 
we generally call them adult at about four years so their coloration is normally pretty dark by then and they can start breeding at about four years of age. And until that time they tend to hang around with each other a lot, don't they, and socialise? Yeah, they do. They, especially after fledging from about January to about March, they form big social groups and uh, get together and play and learn from each other and learn from adults. Here we go, one's picking up a stick right now and chewing it up. They spend a lot of time looking like they're feeding but actually just ripping apart wood and it's possibly good for their beak. They're always picking up rubbish around here, which is awful. When I did my PhD, I looked at their diet and looked specifically for seeds in their droppings, and um, I found a lot of bits of plastic and rubber and just horrendous stuff coming out the other side. So you've got one. We do. Yeah, we got one, and it's the only unbanded one that we've seen today, so it's great. So it was the one you wanted? It's the one we wanted. So now I'm just getting all my gear ready that we need for banding and taking blood samples and things. When we uh, catch the care, we uh, take the blood samples, um, as Laura's preparing for, um, and also feather samples so we can test for vitamin D and uh, diseases and DNA analysis and also uh, lead analysis, as well as they get banded, um, measured and weighed. It feels very fluffy and... And nice and healthy and plump, so that's a good sign. And I start by putting this unique identifier metal band on one of his legs. What's that one? V1417. So these plastic coloured bands, it's, this one's bright yellow and it's got the letter B on it. Yes, so it's got a, what we'd call black B on yellow. So the point of these plastic bands is they're really easy to identify individual Kia and uh, through the Citizen Science Project, the Kia Sighting Project, people can easily see and report back on individual Kia and we can keep an eye on the population and what's happening there. So that's why we use these bright plastic bands. So, yeah, soon this bird will get loaded onto our database and it'll have a name and uh, you can go follow uh, what this bird gets up to and where he gets seen. How does the naming work? That's a good question. So sometimes it just happens to be a name that someone comes up with, but the um, other option is you can actually um, name a key yourself. So as a way of uh, raising money for care conservation, you can uh, go online and have a look at the birds that need names and uh, give it a name and get listed as a sponsor and it's... It's, it's really quite a cool thing because we often have um, community groups um, sponsor as well. So, for example, the uh, Littleton Cubs did some fundraising and they got to call a Kia Cody, an adult Kia that's sometimes uh, up around this area. OK, now we've done that, we're going to take a wee tiny bit of blood sample and then I put it in a little capillary tube so we get exactly the right amount of blood for the lead machine. So the last thing we're just doing here is uh, taking their weight. 710... Rams. <laughs> it's run away about all of about two or three metres. Yep, and just back to his usual tricks. Clearly not bothered at all. As the newly minted black bee on yellow saunters happily away, it's time for us to relocate down to Arthur's Pass Village. Yeah, I think I can hear about eight at least different ones flying around. It's quite exciting, really, when they're all calling and interacting and playing and landing on the treetops. And Do we know what these calls mean? Not a lot is known about different calls and what they mean, but we do know that this particular one where they're... It's quite a playful one. So as we heard up at Death's Corner, 
they seem to do it quite a quite a bit in the evening and respond to each other and feed off each other even. Yeah, they're very chatty parrots. <laughs> they are. And they can be so quiet too, it's amazing. They can sneak up on you and you won't even know they're there and suddenly you'll be, oh, hello, there's one. <laughs> now tell me about the road trip that you've just been doing. So with my role in the Kia Conservation Trust, we have been funded for three years to look at lead poisoning in Kia populations, especially in places where they interact with humans, Arthur's Pass, Franz Joseph, uh, the Milford Road, Homer Tunnel, Aoraki, Mount Cook. And so I've been to all of those places over the last three weeks doing advocacy work through the, with the KCT and catching Kia and banding them and taking these blood samples for lead testing. And we've found some alarmingly high lead levels, especially around this area, Arthur's Pass and so, Mount Cook. So where are the birds getting it from? Is that things like lead roofing nails? Yeah, exactly. So the lead head nails, the flashings that are under the ridge cap on roofs, Lead weights from tyres, cars. There's actually a lot of it in the environment. We found a whole lot down by Homer Tunnel from the old tunnel construction just a couple of weeks ago. It's amazing how much we picked up, about five or six kilos, and there's still a whole lot there. So now the the people are all into action down there and are going to go and get it all removed, and hopefully that'll take out a whole lot of more lead from their environment around there. But quite a few of them showed up with high lead levels and some of them last year were treated for lead poisoning in the Dunedin Wildlife Hospital. And I saw one of them that had been released last week and and took his lead levels again and he was healthy. So that's good. (laughs) Didn't get back into it. We've got a bit of a programme going on, not only in Arthur's Pass Village, but the KCT has been pushing the um, Department of Conservation to get lead removed from huts and things in the backcountry. So that's been happening over the last few months. Um, a whole lot of volunteers up in northwest Nelson have been working on, on various huts. Not only Kia eat lead, but they think it tastes sweet to them, but other species as well um, have been, I think, Tui and Kaka and Weka have been found with lead in their system. So... It's pretty pretty common, unfortunately, but it's something we can do something about and looks like we're making quite a lot of progress lately, so it's great. Part of going around the country too, you've been banding birds like you're doing here. Why are you banding the birds and putting these really easy-to-read colour bands on them? Basically harnessing that enthusiasm and excitement that the, all the public seem to have about Kia and getting that cap to capture really interesting scientific information about Kia numbers and population and things like how far they travel and disperse or what the local population might be doing and what the turnover of that population might be. And so we're learning lots of interesting little things about it and I see the real value in this project, getting people to record individually banded Kia into the sightings database will be, especially in the longer term, where we can look at sort of numbers over time in a particular place, but... I think in the shorter term as well we're learning a lot too, like um, for instance we had one bird that used to be a real scavenger here in the village and we were on one of the more backcountry surveys a couple of months ago and she turned up there and then she turned up way in another valley a couple of months later so it's really interesting to see some of those things, how far they can go and not just hanging around in this kind of front country environment. What has this year been like for Kia? We saw that young bird before up at Death's Corner, have you been seeing lots of young birds? Yeah, this year seems to be amazing for Kia, for young Kia. It seems to have been a really big breeding year compared to the last couple, I'd say. 
and it's probably got something to do with the abundant resources in the environment this year. All uh, that fruiting and seeding. All that fruiting and seeding. I watched a, four birds, six birds, sorry, feeding on silver beech seed recently. They just spent about four hours in a row non-stop feeding on that silver beech seed and they just weren't interested in anything else. Now we've got a Kia just landed, so I'm going to take off and see who that is. White eight. White eight on green. So you can even see the bands without binoculars sometimes. You can... These birds are quite curious about people. They come quite close sometimes. And it's a good thing for people to do, um, get involved in the Kia sightings. Yeah, often people like to do something to interact with Kia and it's often feed them, which is to- a total no-no. So having something else to do, like, oh, I can see their bands and get some useful information. So when they come close, you can do something like take a photo and report it into the sightings database, and that's far more useful than feeding them. So you've got a couple of unbanded birds here to aim for? Yeah, three unbanded fledglings by the looks. So that's exciting. Some keen locals have come to help. I'm uh, Nick, an enthusiastic Arthur's Pass local. Yeah, hi, I'm Jamin. Um, I live in Arthur's Pass. I help out catching here every now and again to help with the sighting project to get them banded and keep them all being identified so that anyone and everyone can find them and point them out and take note of them for the database. Hi, I'm Peter from uh, local uh, from Arthur's Pass and uh, chairperson of the Arthur's Pass Wildlife Trust. So the Arthur's Pass Wildlife Trust does a bit of work around here. I've been here, it was a few years ago now, and they were doing work with great spotted kiwi and yep. doing lots of predator yep. trapping. Yep, yep, so we do, um, it did start off initially with great spotted kiwi, but then it was realised that um, it, was, it was helping all the, all the wildlife in the park. So it's sort of continued. Getting more involved with Kia now, thanks to, to Laura and the Kia Sightings Project. So are you getting any sense yet from the, that sightings database of these birds that you might see here in the village, are they popping up in other places as well? Yeah, they are. Laura was saying the other day that was, um, there was one that was tagged up either in the village or up at the Viaduct Lookout and, and then it was sighted down near Hokitika, which, you know, that's, that's 100, 100 k's by road. So I guess as the Kia flies, it might be about 60, 70 k's. And so, they, yeah, they're definitely travelling around quite a bit. That one's chewing on something on the roof... Yeah, thankfully that one's not lead in this key area. There's been a few roofs, roofs that had uh, lead flashings and lead nails, so some of them have been stripped of that and the lead's all been covered. Well, that's very good because it does sound like some of them have very elevated lead levels. They do, yeah. Yeah, and that's, um, that's the key problem with them. And so when, when we managed to get a, a testing and showed that they have full, a lot of lead, they get shipped down to the South Island Wildlife Hospital and they deal to them down there. It takes about three weeks have to sort of do um, what's called chelation therapy of some sort. It takes a wee while, but it's worth it. And then someone brings them back up, depending on who's transporting them down. There's been several people who've been used to transport them, just um, locals, batch holders, the local policeman transported one down once. That's pretty cool. And Cedric from Esco Shuttles, he'll quite often transport them if, if they're needed as well. Oh, that's great community yeah. support. It is, yeah, it's really good. Just going back to the Arthur's Pass Wildlife Trust, what other work are you doing around here at the moment, apart from helping out on the Kia project? Uh, well, we've got a really extensive set of predator traps, mainly Dock 150s, which are stoke traps, and we've, we have approximately 900 that we um, that we maintain and manage, and uh, so we're in the process of upgrading some of them in some certain valleys. So we've just put in a big funding application as well for the Dock Community Fund, 
and hopefully that will enable us to increase the, the, the number of traps and the number of checks we do on them. But you're pretty happy with the results you're seeing? The bird life looks like it's thriving? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. We did start on kiwi. Uh, that was the main focus, and, and the kiwi numbers were increasing. In the, in the valley. We had quite a few that had um, transmitters on them and the good thing about this kiwi project was that the, the kiwis were left to raise their chicks in the wild rather than the eggs getting taken away to a sanctuary and getting hatched there and, and kept in a wildlife sanctuary until they were a year old. They were actually left in the wild and never surviving because of the number of traps we had in the area. You're going to have a bit of a challenging year ahead of you with this mega mast here. Yeah, yeah potentially, yeah. And because there's actually a big 1080 blitz I suppose but uh, there's also a 15 kilometre exclusion zone around Arthur's Pass because of the the habit of Kia to scavenge in in this area so as a result of that there's no 1080 within 15 k's of the village so that really makes our trapping programme much more important yeah, the problem around this village, I think, is that there's lots of rubbish that they interact with, there's food that people feed them, yep. and yep. it all teaches them to try new things. It does, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. And they just sort of get used to trying new things, and so they just hang around here and they'll just try anything they can find. So we're trying to get better signs. We've got various signs up uh, around the the village and around the national park, and encouraging people to not feed the care. And that is working in some places, but there's still... It needs to be improved at the store and the campground and around those sorts of areas. That's just to, so that passing tourists get the message as well. Mm. It's lovely to see so many birds, though. It is, yeah, 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 yeah. And, but it's just a shame that they do congregate around this area where they they know in the evening they'll get fed. But hopefully that will be that will be stopped soon. I'm kind of hot on not feeding. Yeah. Wildlife. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I figure it's much better to leave the birds do their own thing. Yep. yep. Um, yep. And be part of the, the ecosystem. You know, if they're out foraging mm. in the wild, then they're actually performing a really valuable function. Yeah, they, are. Yeah. they eat all those berries, they exactly. spread the seeds yeah, everywhere. Seed dispersal, yeah, precisely. Yeah, and they, they, uh, there's been studies done on that as well, and they, they disperse seed better than any other native bird, apparently, because they spread around a lot more. They fly around a lot more than other ones. The team work until it's dark and they're back at dawn the next day to carry on catching and banding. So you've just had another successful morning. You've banded two more kia, so how many does that make it? Last night and this morning, that's five? Yeah, I think we've caught five in those tracks sometimes. I have to say, there's a lot of young kia around. It is great to see. Oh, it's so promising. I hope that most of them make it through to adulthood, and I especially hope there's lots of potential breeding adult females out there in three years' time, four years' time. So in terms of birds you've banded, you've been doing this road trip, you've been to Fjordland, you've been to Araki, you've been to Franz Joseph. How many birds have you managed to band? In Araki, we did... Five. We only had one day there because the weather was quite bad the other days. And then we went to the Milford Road, and there's a few sites along there. We got 13 altogether over four days. And then at Franz Joseph and Okorito Forest, we got 15 in total. And now we're back here in Arthur's Pass, we've got five. So however many that equals. <laughs> so we get the impression there's lots of birds around. Do we actually have any idea what the national population is? Estimating a population is pretty difficult. The best estimate at the moment is somewhere between three and 7,000. So do we have any idea how many birds there might have been, for instance, say in a place like Arthur's Pass? 
Not exactly, although past studies indicate that there would have been a lot more than now. So Dick Jackson, he was a researcher here back in the late 50s and early 60s and he spent a few summers around here dedicating all of his time to monitoring care and went to care nests and um, tried to get a handle on the population and what was going on in the area. And over two summers he banded something like at least 900 care. So over the past two summers now for instance we've probably banded maybe 50 or 60 in the area so that sort of tells you that there must have been far greater numbers around the area then than now. So a kia just a mountain bird we call them the mountain parrot. Mm, somewhat misleading I think. We do call them a mountain parrot and they do spend a lot of time in the alpine areas of the South Island but it's probably that they're more a forest bird, actually. So most nests that we know of are actually in the forest. There's, there's, there are ones above tree line, but they do live and breed in the forest for a lot of the year. Um, over winter, they start in about July, they start nesting. Fledglings emerge around about December, January. So they're, they're in there for a long time with the adult male coming and feeding the female and, the, and then the chicks in the nest cavity. So, yeah, they spend a lot of time in the forest. And then, especially on the west coast, you can see that they, that they really are well adapted to living in the forest. And then in about January, they start coming up above the tree line and feeding on all the abundant alpine fruits and things out there and they do make themselves quite known to climbers and trampers and people up in the tops. Yeah and you'll even um, see them down uh, very very close to sea level um, especially on the west coast near Okarito. Now George tell me a little bit about your big Kia database. If you go to kiadatabase.nz um, you can go online and you can have a look at all of the uh, Kia that have been banded and it's pretty cool so if you go out to say Death's Corner and you see uh, a Kia out there say uh, yellow G on black you can go and type that into our database and you can find out that his name is Tehuda and uh, you know you can report a sighting of him. It's pretty cool. It enables us to keep an eye on who's where and um, we get reportings of uh, Kia that haven't been seen in years and it's good to see that they're still out there. How many records have you got in the database? Um, so to date I've had um, over 3,300 sightings. I've got sightings right from the bottom of Fiordland all the way to the top of the Kaharangi. But the cool thing about the Kia database is it's um, what's called open source software. Um, so anyone can go on and uh, look at the code and contribute. Um, and the cool thing is, is if people wanted to make a kaka database or uh, if people wanted to create one for a pestry island with the banded birds, then that code is available for them to look at. And you're a bit of an award winner. Yeah, so it was really cool. Um, last year we got recognised um, at the New Zealand Open Source Awards in the category of science. We were up against some pretty amazing contenders, but for some reason we, we managed to take out the prize, which is pretty cool. Congratulations, that's excellent. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, George. George Moon is a volunteer who helps run the Kia Sightings database, and ecologist Laura Young is the Kia Conservation Trust Community Engagement Coordinator. A very big thanks, too, to the Arthur's Pass Wildlife Trust, especially Chair Pete Neal. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 9th of May 2019. To listen again or check out photos, just head to our webpage rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld You can sign up for our weekly free email newsletter while you're there We are a free podcast in all the usual places Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public You'll also find my other podcasts there too 
Staying with this week's theme of New Zealand parrots, the Kākāpō Files is following along with the record-breaking Kākāpō breeding season. The chicks are doing well, but two male Kākāpō, Arab and Gumboots, have died in the past week, dropping the population to 144 adult birds. The chemistry podcast Elemental, celebrating 150 years of the periodic table of elements, is up to cobalt and copper. And in the cobalt episode, Professor Alan Blackman from the Auckland University of Technology and I find an unexpected connection between his PhD research and my master's research on sheep. You can find both these series on the podcast page at rnz.co.nz and I'm posting all of these on the Our Changing World webpage as well. RNZ has a new science podcast for kids. Nano Girl's Great Science Adventures sees Michelle Dickinson and New Zealand children looking for answers to some of life's big questions. Why do stars twinkle? How can birds fly so high? And plenty of others. You can stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Bye for now. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.